The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. Importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo and help your organization move forward in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place, I promise you that. The buzz today, Designing Minds. Let's get started. Organizations are realizing that the key to achieving sustainable innovation is to learn and scale creativity by applying, you know what I'm going to say, design thinking. But successfully bringing design thinking and a culture of innovation and a learning environment to all kinds of enterprises, all kinds of academia, and all kinds of governments around the world is a tall order. You have to train champions. You have to foster creative confidence. It's a big job. Big question today is... Will it all come together anytime soon? I have a panel of amazing experts today who are going to help us figure this out. So if you're interested in bringing that culture of innovation and creativity and confidence to your organization, no matter what kind of organization or where you are, the maturity of your organization, if you're in education, government, or business, private or otherwise, you want to listen up to this. Let me get started introducing my panel. First up is a newcomer to SAP Radio. He is Fred Leichter. I'm going to spell that for you. L-E-I-C-H-T-E-R. He's a senior VP at Fidelity Labs at Fidelity Investments. And Fred has sent me an exactly two-word quote from Cindy Tripp, and we'll find out who she is in a minute. The quote is, embrace surprises. Fred Leichter, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So tell me, embrace surprises. That's one of the shortest quotes we've ever had on the show. Tell me, what does it mean to you, and how does it relate to our topic? Yeah, well... Let me just give you the, the snapshot of my background quickly. I've been at Fidelity Investments for 24 years. Um, at Fidelity, as you know, is a very successful large financial services company. And uh, in a large financial services company, we do not embrace risk. We do not embrace chance. And we do not embrace uh, things that are scary or scary for our customers. Yet, mm-hmm. to be innovative, uh, we have to figure out a way to do that. So I met Cindy... Uh, a few years ago when she was at Procter & Gamble. Uh, we, I, I met her actually at the D School at Stanford. And that's two words stuck in my mind because it, it, uh, it signified what we needed to do as an organization, which is to, to be open to the things that we see that we don't expect to see uh, and to uh, talk to people more often and listen to the extremes and listen to the customers who are either behind or ahead of the curve and think hard about what it is that they need. 
Interesting. Not taking risk. Hmm. And when we talk about design thinking, is risk one of the key qualifications in order to embrace design thinking, to open up your mind, talk to people and figure out what you can do going forward? That culture of innovation is risk synonymous, Fred, with the word innovation. I mean, I think risk is, you know, the Eskimos have lots of words for snow, and we need to have more words for risk and for testing and for for looking and for observing and really open ourselves up to that. And so design thinking, to me, creates that openness and that uh, consideration of when to flare and when to focus and Mm -hmm. how to change the cadence of projects and the cadence of the work that we do so that we... Um, are not so driven to the results that we have determined at the beginning of a project, but take the time to check in with customers, with people along the way, and let them surprise us both by the way they react, by the things they don't like and the things that they do like that we might not have expected. Fred, you just said something I think is a tweetable moment, but I'm not able to tweet right now. If anybody wants to put this down for memory for uh, to make Fred more immortal than he already is, when to flare and when to focus. I love that. We're going to grab onto that sometime later in the show. Thank you, Fred. Good intro. Let's welcome our second guest. It's Tim Shriver, a fellow at the Stanford D School. There's that word again, the D School. And he's a chief Dream Director at the Future Project. I had a great prep call with Tim last night, got to know each other very well, and we're going to have a lot of interesting things from him, but very interesting to me. Tim has sent me a quote from Pope Francis. I never would have expected this from a 26-year-old who travels around the country working for the future of education, the future of great minds, and the future projects. So here's the quote. This is important to get to know people, listen, expand the circle of ideas. The world is crisscrossed by roads that come close together and move farther apart, but the important thing is that they lead towards the good. Tim Shriver, good to talk to you again. How are you this morning? Good morning, Bonnie. I'm doing great this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. So talk to me. That D-School work keeps popping up, but more important, let's focus on Pope Francis. How could you pick a quote from Pope Francis, who, by the way, does have his own Twitter handle? I found it. Talk about him on a show about innovation and education and talking to people and talking about design thinking. Does Pope Francis even know what design thinking is, Tim? I have no idea if Pope Francis has any idea what design thinking is, but I do know that what we're on today is bringing cultures of innovation and learning environments to huge organizations, to huge systems, bringing transformational change um, to places all across the world that have been stuck in one way and stuck in one place for a long time. And I have to say, in, in, from where I'm sitting, if I look across the world and I, you know, I'm working in, you know, entrenched systems within education, I know, you know, Fidelity, SAP, these huge multinational corporations, um, there's hardly any leader I can look to across the world that is doing more work to bring a human-centered system into one of the most entrenched organizations on earth, the Catholic Church. Um, And so I think as far as looking to leaders, looking to style, looking to learn from people across the world who have really begun to figure out how to move large entrenched systems towards a new direction, towards a more human-centered direction, towards a direction that uh, that does listen, that is open, that is open to shifting. I think the work that Pope Francis is doing um, is, is really just creating huge shifts in the world, in, in a world that most people said could never change. And since many of us are trying to figure out how do we create change in places that other people say will never change, um, mm-hmm. I think we have, a lot, we have a lot to learn. 
And from talking to you yesterday, I know you are definitely on the right path. Your heart's in the right place. We'll hear more from you about what is a chief dream director and what is the future project later in the show. Thank you, Tim. And now I'd like to welcome back somebody who just seems to be on most of our shows these days because he's just so smart. And this is his topic. This is his wheelhouse. It's Sam Yen, the chief design officer at SAP. And Sam has sent me a quote from Bob Sutton, a Stanford professor. There's Stanford again from his book, Scaling Excellence. The quote is, one of the these universal decisions is whether and when to take a more Catholic or a more Buddhist path. Please, Sam Yen, enlighten me. How are you today? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me again. Um, I guess you know, it's, it's funny with, with Tim's quote. We, we didn't collaborate on this. Uh, you know, he was also going to bring religion into this topic. Um, but uh, no, Bob is a, is a, is a great professor at, at Stanford, and he's written a lot of business books, and his latest book is about scaling excellence and uh, a lot of the challenges that we face um, in bringing innovation into large, entrenched organizations is really an issue of scaling. And uh, he's got this really interesting analogy, which, you know, which, which is where the quote comes from, um, because scaling in large organizations really also depends on the culture of the organization. And basically what this, what this quote is basically saying is that there are some organizations which are more like Catholic organizations, top-down, very hierarchical. There are other types of organizations which are more like Buddhist organizations, which is something where you have to rally the troops. It's something where you have to gain momentum through the people that are actually working in the organization and kind of work your way up. And that's why this particular quote uh, struck me, because in the work that we've been doing within our organization, um, we've found that you know an organization can be Catholic, can be Buddhist, but large organizations can actually be a mixture of, of those things. And you really need to be mindful of what the culture is before you try to scale some sort of excellence or some sort of innovation in this case. Very interesting, Sam. Uh, moving large objects. Well, there used to be an old song about when an old immovable object such as you, I don't know if you remember an old romantic song from oh, before any of you were born. Fred, probably you too. Uh, and I'm thinking large organizations just seem so unmovable, Sam. It's such a Herculean task to shift a culture. Do you find that or, or is the notion of design thinking the fact that it's catching on and companies are doing so much good with it, is that helping to shift the mindset because it's trending, because it's popular? Any observation on that, Sam? I think there's, there's, there's two ways to take a look at that. Number one, you know, there's certainly a trend in the industry to start talking about that, and there's so many organizations that are looking uh, for this, this magical place of innovation. Um, but uh, we, we, we've also found that it's much easier to understand the concept um, um, uh, you know, and, and kind of intellectualize it, it's much harder to actually put it into practice and actually do it and, and excel at it and scale an organization around it. So, so that's, you know, I, I think that's one of the key aspects. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, the concepts are really easy to comprehend, and, and mm-hmm. it's actually pretty inspiring if you, if, you, if you go through an exercise, if you go through a workshop. But then multiplying it to people and convincing others that haven't gone through the experience, that's really mm-hmm. the challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and Sam, one more thing before I ask you all what you're drinking today. The word risk comes to mind. That's something that Fred brought up earlier uh, when I introduced him. Is, is there a sense in large organizations that it's risky to follow that lead? I think, you know, that's, it's, it's hard. You know, as you become um, more and more senior in your role, Sometimes, um, you know, um, I, I think a lot of people are able to achieve, you know, great things within an organization by taking risks in their career. Um, I think there's a tendency as you become, you know, higher up in, in an organization to take less risks. And, you know, I, I think that's the catch. You know, the people that are in the most influential roles 
um, have gotten to those those roles and created you know their careers around um, taking risks all of a sudden kind of get to that senior level and are less um, apt to do those uh, continue those things um, so I think that's that's one of the things that we, we need to try to break through and design thinking um, in some sense actually provides a framework and a methodology to be able to actually put that more into the context of this is a method and process for innovation so you're actually following a process and the process brings risk into it, but it's legitimized because it's part of a larger effort. Thank you, Sam. Sorry to keep you so long, but there was just so many interesting things I wanted to ask you, and we're going to circle back to Fred Leichter at Fidelity Investments. Fred, you know what's coming up next, because this is Digital World with Game Changers Radio, and all of our shows are part of the big flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Fred, I'd like to know where you are right now, what time of day is it? You can even tell me the weather if you want. And is there anything really interesting you're drinking, or do you plan to drink something more interesting after the show? Fred Leichter, talk to me. Thanks, Bonnie. I am uh, on the deck of a condominium in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, a little <laughs> town on the North Shore. I'm looking out at the Caribbean Sea. It's a beautiful, sunny day, and I am drinking a nice cup of coffee with uh, milk and no sugar. I want to know what flavor is the coffee? Is it half-calf, full-calf, decaf? What's, what's, what's powering you right now in your beautiful setting that I wish I was there, too? Yeah, it's it's full calf. I need to uh, enjoy every moment of today. We've had a. Uh, I live in Boston. We've had a rough winter, so um, I can't get enough sun today. So I plan to be uh, up and about all day. Uh, after we get off the show, I think I'm going to go out on the beach and uh, snorkel and uh, swim in the ocean, and then probably sit under a palm tree and have a beer. How does you that are really being mean. You are really being <laughs> mean. <laughs> I'm in New York on the North Shore of Long Island, and it started out with a full rain, then a peak, a little teeny peak of sun, and now it's pluing again. That's French for raining, and the wipers are on. The car is driving by my office window, and what can I tell you? Fred, enjoy it. Soak up the sun and bring some back, please. Tim Shriver, where are you today, and what time is it, and what are you drinking? Tell me something fascinating. It is 7.15 a.m., and I am in Palo Alto at the Stanford D School. Um, I had to come down here because it's the only place I could find a hard line. Don't know where those <laughs> exist you. elsewhere. Um, I am drinking uh, Tazo green tea. Um, I, have been, I moved to uh, California just about nine months ago from New York City. Um, and in New York for the last three years, I drank black coffee all the time, nonstop, needed it to, to make my days happen. And I don't know what California's done to me. This did not happen intentionally. I did not plan to get off, <laughs> off coffee. But uh, about three months ago, I started drinking green tea and haven't touched coffee since. Um, and uh, so I don't really know what's going on, but I'm enjoying it and uh, feeling pretty good. Wow. So, so thinking of transformation and redesigning a life, Tim, you're only 26 and you're already going through a major lifestyle innovative change. I'm marveling at that. We will talk more later. Sam Yen, where are you today? Time of day? What's in your cup? You know the drill. Yeah, so I'm in Palo Alto today. This is this is home for me. Um, mm-hmm. Bonnie, the last time we spoke, uh, I don't know if you remember, but I was in Dublin, Ireland um, mm-hmm. in, a, in an airport lounge trying to find a quiet place to talk. And I, I joked that I was drinking Irish coffee, even though it was regular coffee. But I got to say, you know, today is St. Patrick's Day. So uh, in honor That's of... Right. Uh, 
in honor of kind of uh, all the Irish out there, uh, and in honor of kind of my team in, in Dublin. Um, yeah, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm just drinking regular regular coffee today, but uh, I also send uh, I also send my uh, son to a, to an Irish Catholic school. And over the weekend, uh, we had uh, we had a Celtic Knights type of party in honor of St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. and uh, I had the real uh, Irish coffee there. And it was a, it was a lot of great it was a lot of fun, Irish dancing, all kinds of great things. So uh, so happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Thank you. I forgot to mention that on the show. We're global, and I is it a global holiday, Sam? Does everybody know what's it? I, I guess so, right? All over the world. You know, the, uh, that's the funny thing when I when I spoke to the team in in, in Dublin and asked them about St. Patrick's Day. They actually said that it's probably more of an American holiday, actually. They said if you really want to go and have a great party and have a good time, at, uh, you know, the, the Boston and New York parties are, are, are pretty cool. So uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. I also learned that um, corned beef and cabbage, which is uh-huh. an American staple for, for St. Patrick's Day, is actually something that I don't, they don't eat in Ireland. So <laughs> that was funny. And Sam, I'm willing to bet they don't have green bagels in Ireland either. We probably just have those in New York. There's no bagel like a New York bagel, even if it's green for St. Patty's Day. So thank you for the holiday reminder. Guess what? My panel is working very hard. I'm going to let them all go take a sip of whatever is in their cup. We're speaking today to Fred Leichter, Senior VP at Fidelity Investments Fidelity Labs, Tim Shriver, a fellow at the Stanford D School, and the Chief Dream Director. We'll talk about that when we come back to him at The Future Project and Sam Yan, Chief Design Officer at SAP. I'm Bonnie DeGraham and if you haven't guessed it, our topic today is Solving Innovation Challenges. Taking Design Thinking Global. We have a lot to cover, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back after the break. And a quick shout-out to Katie Mosier at SAP at KMOSER36, who is tweeting. And Katie, Fred, Katie captured the when to flare and when to focus. I asked her to, and she did. What a great quote and idea, she says. So, Fred, you are immortalized now at hashtag SAP Radio. Put that in your cup and drink it. We'll be right back after the break. Michael, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Digital World with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital World with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. Here we are again, and I'm speaking today with Fred Leichter at Fidelity Investments, Tim Shriver at the D School and the Future Project, and Sam Young. Sam Yen at SAP, and he's always young at heart. Forgive me, Sam. Uh, Fred Leichter, we're going to kick off the roundtable with some notes you sent me before the show. You sent me so many fascinating things, I'm not quite sure where to start, but I'm, I'm dipping all the way down into the notes you sent, and I'd like to talk about the Greeks. We were just talking about the Irish and St. Patty's Day. Let's talk about the Greeks. You say the Greeks had two ways of keeping time. Kronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, versus, I'm going to pronounce it, Kairos, K-A-R-O-S. I-R-O-S. In the workplace, you say Kronos, the one that caught on, measures time in the passage of what we're familiar with. Minutes, days, years. Yes, we all know that. Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S time, measures time in the passage of opportunities. Let's relate this to design, design thinking. Fred Leichter, why don't you start for us, please? Yeah, that's great. Um, the, first of all, this is a concept I learned from George Kemble at, again, the Stanford D School. and But George sort of told us and talked to us about is it's easy to get caught up in the passage of minutes and days and hours and years and get focused on when your deliverable is and meeting your date and hanging out to your budgets. And we all do it all day long. We're driven. And if you look at our calendars, they're full. Microsoft Outlook has blocked me often every hour on the hour for a meeting and in that time, there is no time left to reflect, no, less, no time left to observe. And so what George said is uh, the Greeks' concept of Kairos. Kairos was a winged god uh, who was, a, who was uh, able to react to the environment. Uh, the best uh, metaphor I have is that of a surfer. A surfer uh, can sit for uh, hours waiting for just the right wave, but the surfer is then skilled and knows how to accelerate and knows how to leap into that wave and at the same time is not afraid to take a risk and to fall. So I brought that concept back to Fidelity, or our organization, and sort of said, what are we prepared to do? What are the waves of opportunity? What are the changes in, the, in technology, the changes in regulatory structure, the things that are happening for our customers that we need to be attuned to and aware of so that we're able to act and we're able to move? The simplest example of that, and one that we've uh, did before we had created a uh, application that allowed people to trade on a BlackBerry. Uh, actually, several years before uh, smartphones and iPhones were introduced, and it was lately used at best. There were a few active traders who used it, but then when smartphones took off, we knew how to do it. We knew uh, how to get it done and launched one of the first uh, trading applications on an iPhone simply because we had practiced and we had guessed that there was an opportunity that we were going to seize. Interesting. Tim Shriver, thoughts on Kronos versus Kairos? Is this a familiar topic for you at the D-School? It is. It is. I was lucky enough also to meet George Kimball and for, to, to learn this insight. Um, and, um, I mean, I think it says a lot for how we just, I mean, the first and foremost for me, it just made, it challenged me to think about how I schedule my day. You know, where do you leave those times um, for, for reflection, for synthesis, to allow opportunities to come up? Um, and in reflecting on, you know, on the concept within the, within the context of education, it makes me think a lot about um, where we create that time for our young people. So many of our young people are scheduled more tightly than me, um, mm-hmm. you know, with packed in days where there's very little choice, very little space um, to have reflection synthesis, to have opportunities come up. 
Um, and so it just makes me think a lot about how are we creating that time and how are we constructing opportunities for our young people um, at a critical time in their lives to step back, to step out of that kind of crit- that constant passage of time, um, of minutes, of days, of years, of calendars, to, to have these breakthroughs. And I'm not sure we're, not, we're doing that for our young people at the moment. Interesting, Tim. I'm reflecting back. For some reason, my, my childhood is coming back to haunt me right now because I remember being majorly scheduled when I was 8, 9, 10 years old. I had piano lessons one day. I had religious school after school twice a week. And on Sunday mornings, I had the Girl Scouts. I took horseback riding lessons. I was in the school band. I had to go to school at 7.30 in the morning for flute practice. I was part of some team or other at school, uh, some, uh, I don't know, social studies team. It was constant. And I was 10, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, and it was constant. So I don't think things change. It seems to me this is aspirational on the part of parents to give their kids every opportunity. You want to uh, comment on that, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, things have gotten far worse. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, we, and we see it in all kinds of different settings in, in education across this country, students from all kinds of backgrounds um, who are scheduled to the brim with constant opportunity, often driven by um, whether it's a competitive parent or a competitive student or a competitive school um, that want to show that they're well-rounded, that want to show to places like Stanford University that they can do more than the gods, you know, that they can, you know, fill their days you know, seven days a week, do four hours of homework, five extracurriculars, play a sport, be the captain of this, captain of that. Um, And uh, I think we're really, you know, and I've, you know, working in high schools for the last few years, so many times when you come to a young person and say, you know, we've got this opportunity, could you grab it? It's like, Mm -hmm. there's no way I can do it. You know, I don't have time in my schedule to jump at that opportunity to try something new, to to shift the way I do things. Um, And uh, so that's a lot of my work with young people. How do we create the space for for these opportunities to come up, to reflect, to synthesize, to try things a different way? Um, And I think, you know, we really have to work hard as parents, as um, as teachers, teachers, as siblings, as classmates to challenge mm-hmm. us, to step back, to underschedule so that we can have this space to create. Um, and I don't know how else, how else we can really move forward without, without creating that space. Thank hey, you, Tim. Yes, Bonnie, Sam, please. Wanted to yes. jump in as well. You know, I wanted to kind of relate that to the workplace as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many of our days are just dominated by outlook and, you know, the way that we do our planning uh, is, is, you know, Gantt charts and everything is, is time-based and everything is scheduled uh, to the brim. And to be honest, you know, for me, that it brings it back to that notion of you know, being conservative or in, and, and risk-averse being, uh, versus taking risk, taking advantage of opportunities. I think there's a certain comfort in, in planning out your day, making sure that, you know, every minute of, of, of your day is filled out with tasks. It makes you feel like you're accomplishing something, um, even though sometimes, you know, you're, you're spinning and you're not actually mm-hmm. doing the important things, which is, you know, looking out for, for new opportunities. So, you know, for me, um, I, I don't know if the analogy is perfect, but this Kronos Kairos time actually kind of refers back to risk-taking. And the people that are mm-hmm. going to be more risk-taking are, are people that naturally function on more of the Kairos time, people that are looking for opportunities, people that are afraid about missing opportunities, and people that are scheduling the opportunity to find those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets to be, uh, yeah, there's, there's a, I want to say a Mobius strip, but it's like a tautology, opportunities for opportunities for opportunities. Fred Leichter, you started this thread. You want to comment on what Tim and Sam have added, please? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to, for me, a simple thing. You cannot schedule insight. You can't, so you can't say that at 10 o'clock tomorrow, uh, we'll leave a half an hour and we will have the insight about what it is that our customers need. And I, and I completely agree with Tim about uh, 
children and education. And we learn a lot in organizations actually by watching the way young children think. And it is a, it is a shame if we schedule that playfulness out of our children by scheduling, over-scheduling them. And a lot of what I try to do in an organization is to learn from the approach that children have and bring play and fun and a little mischief into the way we look at problems uh, as a way of uh, giving ourselves a space to try new things and see things from a different perspective. Thank you very much. Tim or Sam, you want to add anything before I move on to a different area from Tim Shriver's notes? Tim, Sam, are we good with this? just add one thing, which is, I think, you know, reflecting on the education space and Sam and Fred's comments about the workplace, I think one of the biggest challenges we have in education is the way our teachers are scheduled. Our teachers are treated the same way. Um, ah. You know, our teachers are dealing with the exact same challenges, being teaching, you know, 150 kids, five, six periods in a row. I know so many teachers, so many educators that don't make it to the bathroom, don't get lunch, you know, their entire days because they are constantly being scheduled in. They have, you know, meetings, one-on-ones with students, classes. Um, and so one thing, if there's anything, you know, reflection, you know, as looking at the workplace and education, it's the exact same thing we're dealing with. And so it really requires a transformative shift in how we structure schools, you know, and how we structure, you know, the day of an educator, of a student. Um, and that's going to require a lot of big work, a lot of people pushing the envelope in different ways in different places. Um, you know, it's going to be decades of work before we really get, get a lot of progress on that. But it requires people, you know, pushing in all places right now. Tim, I'm fascinated to hear this coming out of the mouth of a 26-year-old. Just just fascinating to me that you have these insights because you're part of this. You are our youth. You are the next wave. I'm ready to move to a different direction, and uh, we've kind of touched on it. But, Tim, before I do, I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about the Future Project and what is your role as Chief Dream Director. What is it? What do you do? Yeah, so the Future Project is a team of educators and entrepreneurs, artists, um, and students who came together a few years ago um, with the goal of figuring out how do we inspire young people across this country to live lives of purpose and passion, and how do we make high school a place where young people can live lives of purpose and passion. Um, And uh, through that work together, that team came up with this new concept, this new character we called the Dream Director. The Dream Director is someone we see one day being in every high school across America, and the Dream Director is someone whose job it is to work with students, to work with staff, to work with faculty, to work with administration. To figure out how do we create the space in the high school experience um, for young people to identify what matters to them, do that self-discovery work to figure out who am I and what matters to me, what am I passionate about, what are my dreams, and then to create the space to take those insights and do something with them, to take action, to build projects, what we call future projects working with young people across this country to publish books, to start businesses, or even small things, to get on stage for the first time, to take these mm-hmm. leaps um, that allow them to see themselves in a new light and to really understand who they are, to test, you could say, to prototype um, different things they think they might want to do in the world, um, and to have that hands-on project-building experience and really ultimately become the agents and change that will transform American education. We're really looking to tap in. How do we, you know, so many people are looking to do gr- you know, great work in education, and our, really, our unique approach is to say, you know, we can change policy, you can change curriculum, you can change adults in the building, but what if we really tap into the, the resource of our young people as the, the mm-hmm. critical agents of change? Um, and so as chief dream director, I, as a dream director the last few years, um, worked in a school in New York City and helped design this role. Um, and then this summer got the, the incredible opportunity to move out here to the West Coast to be the chief dream director here in the Bay Area and to open up our West Coast office. Um, so really excited to be out here on the West Coast, got the chance to work here at Stanford as well. 
Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're now in seven cities across the country um, and uh, working with incredible young people doing just mind-blowing work that um, we never could have imagined. Wow, very impressive. And I, I want to read two lines from your notes, Tim, and, and let's go a little deeper into this part of our conversation. Thanks for that mm-hmm. background. You say, we have an education system built to treat the individual as a nameless face, a cog in the machine. That's the damning statement. And then here is the optimistic statement, IMHO. Young people are our number one most underutilized tool in redesigning the education experience in this country. So you want to expand on that just a little bit, and then we'll invite Sam and Fred to join yeah, absolutely. So the, I mean, it actually goes right back to the to the Kairos Kronos time piece, which is that you know we've built a system. Um, you know, it's about a 110 year old system. We call it the Carnegie Unit. It's like 45 minute units all throughout the day, back to back to back. Same basic five to six subjects taught at most schools across the country. Um, and this was really determined by a panel of uh, high school and college presidents about 110 years ago as the way the system should work. <laughs> and we've kind of forgotten today that it was just made up. Um, and, but what it does is that it treats every person to go through the tra- essentially the same treadmill um, and get p- people running on that treadmill six to seven hours a day, really for all their high school and now more and more their middle school experience um, and creating very little space um, within the school day for young people to really understand who they are, be their unique selves, bring, that se- bring those selves to the fore um, and express themselves. Um, and so... You know, what we're trying to do is, you know, and again, as I said before, there's incredible education reform going, across, going on across the country. There are people doing such hard work, such amazing work in so many different spheres. Um, I guess what we saw is the opportunity, you know, most school buildings, the majority of the human beings in the school building are the students. Um, and there's very little work being done to say, how do we get these young people to be the core agents, the, the, the agents behind the transformation of this environment? You know, yes, we can change curriculum, and yes, we can change teacher prep, and yes, we can change governance structures, all important areas. But what does it look like for young people to take up the mantle of changing their own experience, of changing the high school environment, of creating transformative culture change? Um, and that's what we're really trying to do is like, call on young people, challenge young people, give young people the support they need to be the, the agents of change, to figure out what can, what can be offered. And I think what we found time and time again, and this is, you know, this is a core tenet of design thinking as well, is you know, young people have an incredible beginner's mind. They don't know what couldn't otherwise work. Mm-hmm. They haven't accepted what many people, many adults have said, you know, this is just the way things work. It's the way it always has worked. You know, young people say, you know, we've got other ways of doing things. We've got some ideas. They might sound crazy to you, but let us give them a try. And, you know, every once in a while, one of those ideas can change everything. Um, So really, I think young people are just uniquely positioned because they have incredible beginner's minds, because they have, you know, the energy and they actually have an incredible amount of excitement around this, we've found, um, to take up this mantle of leadership. Um, So that's what we've just been really excited about to find in, you know, in schools across the country. Thank you, Tim. And what you call the beginner's mind, when you and I spoke yesterday, I call it the old-fashioned phrase, the Latin tabula rasa, which means a clean slate. There's nothing on there. It's just ripe and ready for creativity. Sam Yan, want you to chime in here. Thoughts on what Tim shared with us, please? I mean, I've had the pleasure, actually, and the honor of, of, of working a little bit with Tim and visiting some of his schools, uh, visiting some of the dream directors. And, uh, you know, number one, I just, I just have to say, you know, it makes me feel good as, as, as a parent with kids going through the education system right now. Mm-hmm. There are people like Tim and there are programs like this that are going on uh, to help our education system. So that's my first point. I think, secondly, 
Um, I'm always struck by how many analogies there actually are. Uh, if, if you just listen to all the things that Tim just said um, with the corporate world, you know, um, the corporate kind of environment is also very hierarchical. Um, a lot of the employees feel like cogs in the wheels. Uh, decisions are, are often kind of made by a certain small group of people uh, that are known as executives, and a lot of times these are cascaded down and pushed down to the point where individual tasks are so specialized that people lose sight of the big picture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, for me, uh, and and what I love about design thinking is, you know, in in the same way where, you know, there's untapped potential in the youth, I think there's a huge uh, amount of untapped potential in employees in large organizations. and, And what design thinking brings you know, again, as a process, a mindset, a set of values uh, to be able to empower uh, and enable these, these people to, to really be, be creative and, 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 and start to contribute to their large organization. This notion of a beginner's mindset, yes, that applies to, to, to youth that are kind of just, just entering in uh, their mm-hmm. education and then, and, and then entering the work, workforce. But what I love about design thinking is it's a process that helps you, even as a seasoned professional, go back to that uh, unbiased um, viewpoint that, you know, approach things with naive eyes, approach things with the beginner's mindset to be able to see things in a new light and to come up with new ways of looking at things and to drive innovation that way. So, you know, again, just a lots of parallels I see with uh, things in, that Tim is describing um, in the educational world and also in the corporate world. Agree with you. I told Tim that I'm hoping that these youth in the Dream Project and the Future Project, they'll be able to get rid of war and they'll be able to conquer cancer and wipe it out. I think that's where the hope is. That's just me talking, but let's leave that on the table. Fred Leichter, I hear you in the background. Talk to us. Thoughts on what Tim and Sam just shared, please. Well, first of all, I'm, I share with Sam that I'm in awe of what Tim is doing. I want to hire the kids that he trains in this ah, education system. Yay. And we'll hire them, some of them. Uh, and, and Sam's right. It is, we face that challenge every day in the corporate environment. We, we know too much. We know too much about why things can't be done, about all the ideas that we've tried in the past, about uh, the regulatory issues, the compliance issues, the technical issues. We know all, all the problems. Um, the best antidote that I have found through design thinking to all of the the naysayers and all of the correct uh, observations that people have about why things are challenging, though, is to put people in front of our customers and just people more often. So we have a thing we call a customer delivery service where we deliver people to customers in their homes. We deliver our customers to our teams, and we have them share their work before they think they're ready. So we show, show mm-hmm. things to ah. our customers before we think we're ready to show them, and Always insight comes from it, always uh, smiles come from it, and always uh, the customers that we bring into those so-called co-design sessions are really mm-hmm. happy because they feel they're being listened to. And, and that's one of those magic things. We don't have to teach design thinking. We need to just get people to do that and spend more time sharing ideas and listening and, and learning to listen to what people are telling them. Wow, Fred, Fred, that reminds me of the old, uh, the new saying, perhaps not so old, uh, fail fast and fail often. You're saying bring projects to the customers before they're ready and you'll get the smiles. Fascinating. That just turns the old mantra inside out. Don't show it until it's absolutely perfect. I was once reprimanded when I was doing some, some consulting work by a, a woman here on Long Island who hired me to do some design work for her client. And it was a question of a brochure. She reamed me because the color wasn't exactly 101% 
said exactly what the customer wanted, and I thought it was just a little uptick to change it just a little bit. I was just called on the carpet and reprimanded. How could you do that? It wasn't perfect. It wasn't ready. You're saying go for it. Bring in the creativity. Fred, what's the risk factor there? Well, there is no risk, really, when you, when you look at it in the broader context. The risk is okay. that uh, we get distracted and we may not deliver what we predicted we would deliver on the same schedule. Um, so that is a risk. Uh, but in terms of the satisfaction of the needs that our customers have, there's, there's no risk because we will learn much more, much faster. And often mm-hmm. we will find there are simpler ways to meet the, the unmet needs of our customers. And, and, and the problem with, back to that example you gave, the problem with the situation where we don't show things to people until we think they're perfect is we telegraph that to our customers, and they mm-hmm. tell us what they think we want to hear. They tell us that they like it. They tell us that they use it. They yes. tell us that it's the perfect shade of green. Um, but, then they, but, but that doesn't mean that they, they will use it, or it doesn't mean that it will satisfy the, the needs that they have or make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. I wish this would percolate down. I hope a lot of people listen to the show. And by the way, uh, Tim Shriver, I have an invitation for you from Katie Mosier at SAP. She says on Twitter, Timbo Shriver, I want you to come to my hometown in McCall, Idaho, to direct dreams and drive creativity with our youth. So there's another job opportunity for you, Tim, when you're done <laughs> traveling the country. Katie's a big fan, and so am I. Everybody on this call is now. Sam Yen, I'm looking at your notes here, and I'd like to turn this away from education for just a few minutes and focus on big organizations and IT in particular. So let me read these notes, and then, Sam, I, I hope you'll take us through it. You say a growing number of organizations are trying to learn and scale creativity through the application of design thinking. This is especially true in our IT information technology industry. Innovation and the creation of delightful products and experiences used to be a nice-to-have in IT. Today, it's table stakes. If you think organizations can survive without it, you are wrong. Very powerful, Sam Yen. Explain, please. Talk to me. I think, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, there's been a proliferation of uh, smartphones, right? I always ask people, you know, how many people don't have a smartphone? And there's always a couple of BlackBerry um, holdovers in the room. Um, but, you know, what, what that has brought, you know, is this term, the consumerization of IT. Everybody expects um, uh, that, you know, the ease of use of the phone, you know, the apps that you find on your smartphones, when you go into the office, they expect that same level of delightfulness, you know, the, the, the simplicity of those, those mobile applications. Um, you know, why is it so difficult uh, to, when you go into the office to do things like book a trip or find, find your budget numbers? Uh, while, you know, you've got applications like Kayak and Mint.com and other things in the consumer space that's just so easy to use for your personal life. It wasn't that long ago when, um, when these things were really, you know, the, the state-of-the-art technology, if you will, was the stuff that you would have to go into the office for. You know, you had bigger screens, better computers, better software, all of that stuff. And over the last couple of years, uh, that seems to have flipped. It seems like, you know, the things that you're able to do at home or on your mobile devices sometimes outpaces and outdelights, especially uh, the things that you get um, in the office. So I think, so I think you know, that, that puts an incredible pressure on the IT organization, you know, within, within large organizations, to be able to deliver that consumer experience. And I think the problem is, you know, one of the core tenets of design thinking is it tries to bring together uh, three things together. Um, it tries to bring, um, you know, technology, um, 
uh, feasibility, business viability, uh, but there's th- this is last circle, which is human desirability. And mm-hmm. for, for so long, um, especially in the enterprise space, um, it, it's always just been about there's a business need for something and there's some tech, technical people that could come and, and try to solve that business need. But that human was often left out of the, uh, out of the loop. And I think you know, design thinking really puts an emphasis on you know, that human desirability and all the processes are human-centered. So you know, bringing that human-centered approach to innovation is really key. And that's why there's so many organizations, so many of the world's largest organizations are now scrambling to try to figure that out, how to bring that into their organizations, starting with IT, but more generally um, in terms of innovation um, uh, in general. Thank you. Tim, you want to comment on that? And then I'll go to Fred. Thoughts on what Sam just talked about? Tim Shriver? Um, sorry, sorry. Oh, um, Fred, that's good. Fred, you go ahead. I would say, yeah, I will, uh, I'll echo what Sam says about uh, large organizations and the challenge of getting uh, technology to work well. And, and uh, I think that's, uh, it is remarkable. I mean, I did used to come into the office on a Saturday so that I could print something. Now I go home early so that I can make a Skype call to people. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think that has to change. And I, I think that approach to it has to change. And some of the areas that uh, are left for innovation, it's a whole other topic for me, which is remote collaboration. Um, things have to get easier in terms of video conferencing. How many times are we all on a video call that doesn't quite work and there's 10 minutes lost? Mm-hmm. Those things have to get easier uh, in order for us to connect our organizations worldwide. Good point. Tim, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing we've also found is just in, in education, you know, we have uh, the challenge the the challenge that, you know, in education there's there's in general, a really low standard for, for what, um, you know, great technology looks like. Um, and so there's, you know, so much incredible education technology, go, you know, uh, innovation going on out here, especially in Silicon Valley. Um, but it's really in wide open field. Um, it's really a wide open field for, for what the future of technology in schools could look like because there just hasn't been much really high quality work done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Guess what? I'm not going to take a break. I'm talking to my engineer and to my panel. I have another topic that's in the notes from Fred Leichter. Fred, I'd like you to talk to us about the Eames drawing. This is Charles Eames, whose sketch was called What is a House? And you can Google it, of course, and you'll tell us about it in a second. Versus uh, created our own sketch called What is an Office? The activities that make for a happy and productive workplace. Let's get down to brass tacks here, as we used to say. What is the difference between what is a house, what is an office? Fred? Well, yeah, for those of you who don't know the, the Eames sketch, it's a beautiful light sketch that shows um, a gentleman playing a cello, somebody showing a movie, a couple sitting on a couch, a kid playing with an airplane, somebody shaking drinks, a woman painting, uh, somebody sawing. And the point is, uh, he doesn't draw a picture of a living room, a dining room, the front door, or the garage of a house. A house isn't the structure, a house is the activities that you want mm-hmm. to create inside of it. So we created a sketch uh, unashamedly uh, uh, mimicking the theme style to say what is an office and how do you create the environments, both physical and digital, that will support the activities that you want to see within your office world. And so, you know, some of those, the typical office that, that I grew up looks working in um, looks still a lot like the office in Mad Men where there, is, uh, there are cubicles outside of big offices and in their conference mm-hmm. rooms with uh, 
tables bolted down to the floor. And those environments are good. They're good for certain things. An office is good for a private conversation. A boardroom is good for a command decision. Um, a cubicle is kind of good for private working. But we want to see teams collaborate. We want to see people share things. We want to see actual time for reflection, which we talked about earlier, and, and mm-hmm. in, an un- in a truly undistracted fashion. Uh, we want to see the blending of personal and private lives encouraged and happen so that people have friends at work and they take meals together. And then we want to see people connect digitally with their colleagues around the world and do that in a, in a more personal fashion. So we've talked to our real estate group, we've talked to others and said, there's not, it's not the debate which we typically have between open office or uh, closed office, open environment, closed environment. But how do we leverage what technology lets you do now, which is move around, and how do we create the spaces in the proportion that we want for the work that we do? And how do we empower managers to say, before I start a project, before I start a meeting, what is the environment that I need to create in order to facilitate the activities that I want to see happen? Good points, Fred. Um, I want to pose a question to Sam Yen because I know that Tim Shriver is focused on our youth and the bright young minds and the tabula rasa. Sam, you're part of a, a huge organization. I work for SAP as well. How do you instill this concept that spaces are designed for the purpose of fostering collaboration, innovation, talking to people, and that we don't need the cubicles anymore? We don't need the, the square pegs that people are those round pegs and they can't fit them into square offices anymore. Sam, how do you bring that up to an organization that's huge that has, and you and I both know we have four or five generations working literally and figuratively and virtually side by side today. How do you instill that all the way across the organization so people get it? And they will participate. Sam? Wow, yeah, so many, so many topics there. Um, Sorry. We talk, we, we talk a lot about kind of, you know, millennial generations, you know, the, mm-hmm. the next generation workforce and things like that. I, I, I don't know who coined the term, but I, I, I like the term generation blend. You know, we're actually kind of in, in exactly like you're saying, there's multiple generations of people working yeah. together uh, right now. And, 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 you know, I always say that you, you don't start with the space. Right, because I think the space is something that enhances the, a culture, but the culture is really set by people, leaders that, that kind of live that culture, um, in making sure that that culture is very, and the values are very explicit, um, and, and kind of every, and you have a team full of people that, that share that. Um, I want to go back to something that Fred said as well, um, you know, this, this notion of blending public and private. Um, I think that's so important because uh, we're taught so often, or we're told so often, uh, to kind of keep a clean work-life balance and, and, mm-hmm. and to keep that clean separation between, uh, you know, your, your, your public and your, and your work life versus your private life. I've actually found that, you know, in terms of that culture and that culture of, especially the culture of high-performing teams, um, you actually... Uh, members in, in that culture have actually blended their, their private life and their, and their work life together so that people within the teams actually know, their backst- know the backstories of the people, where they come from, uh, what makes them successful, what are the things that, uh, as a team, they need to work to, to help each other out. Um, and that kind, of, that kind of culture is, is, is what I've seen in, in, in really uh, close-knit, high-performing teams. And exactly to Fred's point, to do that, you do need to, you know, eventually create the environment that supports those types of activities. You have to, in your space, uh, be uh, thoughtful about, you know, where you're putting um, 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 you know, the, the types of offices, or, or do, you, do you even eliminate offices to, to again, mm-hmm. to support that culture that, uh, that, that, that the team has, uh, has put together. 
Thank you, Sam. Guess what? We are six minutes and barely counting till the end of the show, and it's time for us to shift gears and go to the predictions crystal ball round. Sam knows what that's all about. Sam's going to be the last one on the list. So, Fred Leichter, let's talk to you. If you can just pause a minute and ready to jump off that balcony and go into the warm water, we'd like to know, Fred Leichter, if we fast-forwarded to the year 2020. Or how far in the future can you project? What would we be talking about in terms of our topic today? Solving innovation challenges, taking design, thinking global, getting rid of traditional spaces, instilling innovation as a mindset across every generation in our blended workforce. A lot to think about. Fred, I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your predictions. Go. Well, I'm going to go back to something we were just talking about. And uh, I think that our collaborative environments need to catch up and will catch up to the power of the personal tools that we have. So the, the beauty and the simplicity of our iPhones and our, our Apple watches and our appliances that, uh, that get the internet on our TV at home, we will have figured out by, by the year 2025 how to do that in a collaborative work environment. And I'll, I'll put quotes around work because I also think mm-hmm. that we will be able to work and play and listen more fluidly, and we will still have time zones. Uh, that is not going to change, but we mm-hmm. will have a much easier way of, of connecting to each other electronically and physically, and um, it's, it's going to be the same kind of breathtaking change that we've seen in the personal tools that we, use, that we suddenly use today. Thank you, Fred. Brief and to the point. Appreciate that. Tim Shriver, I know you have a lot to say. I can give you, oh, about 90 seconds as well, or maybe just a couple seconds more. Tim, what do you see? How far into the future? You're 26. You have a vast future ahead of you. But how far do you want to predict for us today, Tim? Let's go with 2025. Let's, uh, okay. I think, um, you know, what I see, you know, and I appreciate Fred's offer of employment to all our students. And don't worry, Fred, we will take you up on that. Um, <laughs> I see, you know, the young people that we're working with today taking major roles at places like Fidelity, at SAP, in schools, in government. Um, But here's the key shift. I think, you know, young people have been moving from places like high school and college into these roles for decades. The question is, is what will change? These young people, I think, will, my hope, my prediction is that the young people of today will hopefully be outfitted with the skills, with the experiences, with knowledge of things like design thinking that will allow them to not just go in with a beginner's mind, be innovative, be creative for their first two, five, ten years of their careers, but actually have the tool set to hold on to these for their entire careers and start to lead upward and start to, you know, to manage upward and start to bring these kind of ways of doing things, mindsets, skill sets um, that allow entire, you know, organizations to shift, entire bureaucracies to shift, entire systems to shift. Um, so my prediction, my hope, my belief is that what's possible here is that not just will young people become the leaders of tomorrow, but they will really um, become, become agents of bringing these ways of doing things, these ways that, you know, you know exist you know, in small pockets at places like the Future Project at Fidelity, at SAP, um, and become the forces for making them company-wide, countrywide, worldwide. Um, and I think that's really our, our obligation, our work of today, is to give, whether they're new employees at SAP or Fidelity or high school students at schools across the country, the tools to not just do this when they first arrive, but to do this for their entire careers. 
um, and to be able to be agents of influence and inspiration for the people around them. Um, and so that's what I see, you know, 10 years from now is really a system that we're really watching the shift happen. And the shift is on the back of, you know, these young people that have grown up in a world that looks a lot different than even the one I grew up in. Um, and um, that to me... You're still growing up in it. You're still growing up. Trust me on that. <laughs> Thank you, Tim, for great insights. He's, he's way beyond his years. Sam Yen, I saved, oh, 60 seconds for you. Talk to me. Predictions. Great. I think uh, in 2020, uh, the world's largest organizations will, will start to understand and have more of a balance on how to scale innovation within their organizations and realize that innovation isn't just about execution. There is that creativity kind of component as well. Um, and tools like design thinking will help these organizations get there. In the meantime, um, the individuals that are leading these innovation um, uh, journeys for, the, for their organizations um, will form networks, global networks that are cross-organization, cross-regional, uh, cross-gender, cross-industry um, to be able to support each other because uh, while their work is purposeful, um, it is a struggle and they, they will depend on the support of others and that journey doesn't have to be alone. Thank you very much to my extraordinary panel. Very articulate, insightful, great thoughts. And we have some jobs waiting for people after the show. Fred Lecter at Fidelity Investments, thank you so much for taking time out of your Puerto Rico vacation to be with us. You are a trooper. Tim Shriver, what can I say? Pleasure to meet you. You're coming back soon. I'll find a topic for you. And Sam Yen at SAP, always welcome here on SAP Game Changers Radio. Shout out to this series sponsor. Today's part of Digital World with Game Changers is sponsored by Phil Durbin at SAP. And we're delighted to always be working with Katie Mosier, who puts things together so eloquently and elegantly. Michael and the Business Channel team, thank you very much. Brad is on his honeymoon or his staycation, wherever he is. Brad, shout out to you. And I'll be back at 12 noon today, Eastern Time. With, let's see what's on today's menu. Business Innovation with Game Changers, another radio show. Yes, yes, yes. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I plan to. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you in an hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.